God is good all the time. It is great to see you today. Hey, before I get going, I wanted to give you a little update on our capital drive. As you know, we are going to do a complete renovation of this space. And next Christmas, it'll look nothing like this. And so for the renovation, the bank wanted us to show that the congregation was, was behind the leadership of the church. And so we did what I would call a soft capital drive. We did it for two years, not three. And a lot of people asked, you know, what, would, what were we shooting at? And my response was, if, if we received half a million dollars in pledges, that would be just fine. If we received $750,000, that would be unbelievable. And if we got anything close to a million, it'd be an absolute miracle. Well, I want to report to you that as of this moment, we have received $940,488 in pledges for this. So thank you so much for your investment in the future of Christ Church. If you'd still like to pledge, you can do so at the Sync Center. They've got some cards. This week's Advent theme is peace. My topic today is family. Peaceful families. We clearly have our work cut out for us. And speaking of cut out, one of the formative experiences of my life happened when I was in seminary. And I was invited, our family was invited to our neighbor across the street's home. We didn't really have any family close to us in south of Atlanta in Manchester. And so we were invited to be a part of their family celebration, which was really, really kind. When I got into the living room, they had this huge picture of about 30 people that I, you know, obviously was, was their family. It wasn't a professional portrait. It was something that somebody had taken with a camera and then taken to the drugstore to have blown up. And it's kind of in a poster frame, but it was the central feature of their home. That wasn't surprising. What was surprising was there were about six people who had been cut out of the picture with scissors. <laughs> and then there were two replacements who had been glued in. And I remember thinking when I saw it, that is a holy family. H-O-L-E-L-Y, holy family. But we all have holy families, don't we? The central figures in the nativity scene are Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. No matter what your nativity set is, you're going to have the big three. And they're called a holy family. Holy and family. You talk about fragile arrangements. Holy in the Bible means set apart for a special purpose. The Antonym of holy biblically is not profane, it's ordinary. The second something is ordinary, it ceases to be holy. A family consisted of connected people. It could be by blood or, or tribe or other connection, but it just means they're connected people. And in a fallen world, connections can be both temporary and tenuous. Just look at your own family photos through the decades, your own Christmas photos, uh, Cast is always changing. The second you become unconnected, you're no longer family. 
So holy family would denote connected people who've been set apart for a special purpose. And I want to suggest to you that all that is hard work. Is anybody aware of the fact that family is hard work? But anything worth having is hard work in a fallen world. The story of this improbable family began with the engagement of a seemingly unremarkable couple. Engagements in the first decade of the first century in the Galilee region of Israel were nothing like engagements today. If you are engaged circa 2023, you have made a public statement signifying that you plan one day in the foreseeable future to be formally wed. And I don't want to raise any sore spots, but people can be engaged for years. An engagement today is an announcement. It's a press release. It's a change of Facebook status. A non-binding intention signified by a ring worn by only one of the two parties. It's not a legal contract. Engagement is all about what you intend to do. Marriage is the outcome. Engagement is a prophecy made, not a prophecy fulfilled. But back then, engagements were quite different. And as weird as it seems, we're learning more and more about first century Israeli engagements all the time. And you say, how's that possible? Well, first of all, they're finding stuff. They're they're just finding ancient records and they're finding stuff. Secondly, a lot of stuff that they've previously found, nobody thought was very important. Like public documents, like stuff you would get at the courthouse. But now people are taking a look at it. The other thing is a lot of things that we couldn't read uh, 50 years ago, technology now allows us to read those things. We literally can read those things now and we can decipher them. So we know a lot more about first century engagements in Israel than we ever have. And it's changing what we think we knew about Mary and Joseph. Uh, Let me offer you a little bit of information about engagements in first century Israel. First of all, marriages were arranged by families. You didn't get to pick your own. They were picked for you. You say, well, how did that work? Actually, much better than when you pick your own. (laughs) You want some really bad relational advice? Here you go. Follow your heart. That's a recipe for disaster. A good business arrangement actually worked better than you might think. Number two, most brides and grooms were young teens. I was raised that Joseph was probably a whole lot older than Mary, but we see from the documents that though there were times that that happened, for the most part, everybody was young. Number three, marriages normally occurred within the extended family or the clan. So clans, tribes were how people gained identity. So you wanted to marry within the clan, within the extended family, but you didn't want to marry too close within the extended family. Number four, an oral or written contract was often proposed by the family of the groom. Yeah, it was a business decision. Number five, contracts offered a set amount of money to the bride if the groom eventually divorced the bride or 
in case of premature death. I hate to say this, but it was a bit of an insurance policy. Number six, formal arrangements lasted for one year. So engagements lasted one year. So we were right on that. And the couple was legally bound to one another as if they were married. So in the eyes of the law, they were married. Number seven, all expectations of a marriage were in effect during the engagement, though the couple did not live together. Number eight, couples were not to have sexual intimacy with one another during the engagement. Number nine, sexual relations with someone else during the engagement was adultery. You say, could somebody commit adultery that wasn't married? Yes, they could. And it was grounds for divorce. And number 10, a pregnancy caused by the father during an engagement was scandalous. And number 11, a pregnancy caused by someone other than the father during the engagement was outrageous. As you can see, the whole Christmas story has all kinds of problems. All kinds of scandal, hardwired into it. Luke tells us that after her engagement, a Jewish girl named Mary, the most common name in Israel, from an inconsequential Galilean village called Nazareth, was visited by the angel Gabriel. Now, this is the holy part of the story. This is where the ark shifts from unremarkable to remarkable. The angel said, fear not, you will become pregnant and you will have a son and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and called the son of the most high and he will reign Israel forever. Isn't it interesting that anytime people in the Bible see angels, what's the first thing the angel always says? Fear not. You want to know why? Because angels apparently scare people. <laughs> now, when I was growing up, there were a lot of television shows and even movies about angels and they didn't look scary at all. They looked like very attractive actors with wings. But the angels that are in the Bible appear to scare people. Not like the one on top of your tree. They, every time they show up, they always say, fear not. You're going to become pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus, and he will reign Israel forever, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And a bewildered Mary said, how can this be? For I am a virgin. Mary had done everything right. And because God chose to change the trajectory of her life, she is going to be subjected to the kind of scandal that comes to those who do everything wrong. Mary, instead of feeling sorry for herself, you guys know what I'm talking about. Instead of feeling sorry for herself, Mary composes the world's first Christmas carol. It's called the Magnificat. And that means in Latin, my soul doth magnify the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. Today at three o'clock, we are going to experience a portion of Handel's Messiah and Rudder's classical rendition of the Magnificat. That's why the drums are here. I might also note that for me personally, this is the only high-end cultural event I attend each year that does not sell peanuts. So I, I want you to be aware of that. 
This just isn't something I normally do. And if you don't normally do this either, don't clap after every song or people will stare at you. Or that's what I hear anyway. Verse 46 and 47. My soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God, my Savior. Singing lies at the very heart of the Christmas tradition. Singing, Christmas is a singing holiday. I mean, there is a point at which everybody starts playing Christmas songs, right? And it gets earlier and earlier every year. You say, what's the official date now? July 5th. July 5th, that's when they start playing Christmas songs. Now, I don't know about you, but there's different genres of Christmas songs. They come from different eras. Everybody's got their favorites. You know, there's all these modern Christmas songs that are out, and they're awesome except for the fact that I hate all of them. What I really like are the World War II Christmas songs, the melancholy ones. I'll be home for Christmas. Have yourselves a merry little Christmas. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just like these wonderfully melancholy Christmas songs. And you think about it, Mary had every reason to be melancholy when the angel gave her this news. But instead of that, she rejoiced that God had chosen her. And she writes the very first Christmas carol. This carol offers seven insights into holy family, H-O-L-Y, that... I think can help make our holy, H-O-L-E-L-Y, families whole. Let's take a look at some insights into holy family. Number one, holy families notice. Verse 48, for he took notice of his lowly servant. People feel valued when you know their name. We do not gather today to worship an abstract, distant, impersonal God. We gather to worship the one who knows our names. The one who created us in his own image. We worship a God who sees us. Who sees us. The Bible put it so interestingly. It said that God knows the number of hairs on your head. Now for me, that would get easier every single year. (laughs) But the idea was this is not... A faraway God, it's a close God. It's not a distant God, it's an intimate God. A God who knows our names. You ever notice gifts do not say to whom it may concern? They have names on them. And the gift of Christ at Christmas comes with your name on it. Delivered by a God who knows your name. Number two, holy families pass down blessing. And now generations will call me blessed. Salvation history began when God unilaterally appealed to a man named Abram, later Abraham, and promised to bless him and his descendants with life and health and prosperity. And God says, you pass that on. I think we need to reclaim blessing our children. And blessing our grandchildren and blessing our great-grandchildren. So Christmas time this year, I just want to encourage you, patriarchs, matriarchs of your family. Just put your hands on the heads of your children and speak blessing to them. Just speak blessing to them. You say, well, they might think I'm weird. They probably think you're weird now. Just speak blessing to them. Pass that blessing along. 
Number three, holy families honor God. For he is holy and he has done great things for me. Has God done great things for you? Then, then witness to it. Call out his praise. My friends, you may not know this. You may be new here, but last year at this time, my wife was at the very end of chemotherapy. She was weak, strong in spirit. But you guys know from this cancer journey, those of you who've been on it and been on it with those you love, the whole idea is they're trying to kill the cancer before they kill you. And at times it seems like a pretty close race. That's where we were last year. This year, my wife is in total remission. She is strong and she is herself. I have something for which to be really thankful this year. And I'm gonna witness to the goodness of God. Number four, holy families pass along the faith. Verse 50, his mercy goes from generation to generation to all who fear him. My friends, we need to pass along this great faith of ours. We do that with these invites to our Christmas services. You, you pass these out, just give them to everybody that you see. We've got eight services, they're all spread all throughout the week. Somebody asked me, I said, how do you preach eight services? I said, I don't, I just do one and it's all a blur. It lasts for days, you know, and, and it's marvelous. I just can't wait, it's my favorite time of year. But let's be real honest, if I didn't like horses, I wouldn't have joined the rodeo. I love this stuff. This is my very favorite time of year. Let's invite people. Let's invite our families. Let's invite our friends. Let's invite people we don't know. And let's be witnesses. And let's pass along this incredible faith. So holy families honor God. Three, number four, holy families pass along the faith. We've got this youth conference coming up. I hear people tell me all the time, I just don't know what the world's coming to and blah, blah, blah. Okay, every generation in the history of America thought their children was gonna ruin the world. Every single one of them. And it all seems to work out okay. So here's what I wanna tell you. We have an opportunity to expose our seventh through our 12th graders to Jesus in a very intentional and powerful way. Uh, Erica and her team have great passion for connecting our young people to Jesus. Guys, let us partner with you in that. Let us partner with you. You say, well, I can't make my junior high or high school kids do something. What? They live with you for free. What in the world are you talking about? Of course you can. Of course you can. I would not have attended school one day of my entire life had my parents not reminded me I live at their house for free. The bus is outside. You get on it, kid. Church is like a gym. It doesn't matter how good the equipment is if you don't use it. So let's get at it. It's there. Let's utilize that. Number five, holy families are humble. Verses 51 and 52, he scatters the proud. He exalts the lowly. Humility is not self-esteem. Humility is realizing that any great thing that's happened in your life occurred as a result of the goodness of God and the contributions of others. 
Humility is being thankful and being grateful for the roles others have played in your life. We gotta be humble people. Number six, holy families trust God's provision. Verse 53, he feeds the hungry. He sends the rich away empty-handed. I got a real great piece of pastoral advice, completely unsolicited for y'all. Y'all ready for this about Christmas gifts? Drum roll, please. If you have to charge it, you can't afford it. If you have to charge it, you can't afford it. Holy families trust God's provision, our daily bread, our needs. I'm just going to say something as a grandparent. My grandkids don't need more stuff. They need more of me. We need to make more memories and give less gifts. We need to make sure that we're spending time together. We need to make sure we're doing this stuff. There's nothing wrong with giving gifts. But my goodness, for kids today, every single day is Christmas. Every single day is Christmas. So let's create memories. And I'll be talking about this in our Christmas service. But do you know, when I think back to Christmas gifts I got as a child, the only one I remember was that my Aunt Floss always got me a pair of socks. It's the only thing I remember. But boy, do I remember the experiences we had together. That's what you take. So let's trust God for God's provision. He'll feed the hungry, but he'll send the rich away empty-handed. Don't try to allow stuff to replace you investing yourself in the lives of your family. Number seven, holy families know that God is faithful. Verse 54, he has not forgotten his promise of mercy to Israel. Life dismembers us. Life in a fallen world tears us apart. It tears families apart. It tears people apart. Christ remembers us. He puts us back together. Let that memory that God who remembers his promise remembers his people. You see, we too are holy families. And our church is a holy family. We're fragile and connected people set apart for the distinct purpose of connecting people with Jesus Christ. I'm just so grateful to God that he takes our holy families and makes them whole. I want to close with some pastoral advice. I I don't do this often in sermons. I, I generally do that kind of stuff on social media, but I just felt compelled to to give you seven holy Christmas hacks as we enter this season that's based on the Magnificat. So in the next two weeks, we all know what we got in front of us. I just want to give you some pastoral advice. Number one, slow things down. Just hit the brakes. Slow things down. Don't fly through things. Parents, your kids grow up so fast. They grow up so fast. That's why grandparents are always so awesome because we realized how fast our kids grew up and we enjoy every minute of our grandkids. Not only that, grandparents now have money and that helps. (laughs) Slow it down. Think of Christmas as a filet from Andrea's, not a fast food burger or something from Taco Bell. 
You ever get something when you're traveling from Taco Bell? You get it and you go like this. <laughs> Gone. Man, you don't, you don't do that with a good filet. You're going to sit down. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to take a while. Let Christmas be like that. Just slow it down. When you open your gifts, don't let it just be a piranha feed. <laughs> when you eat, don't let everybody get up. Did you know we used to have to be excused from the table? We used to have to ask if we could be excused. The answer was almost always no. No, you just sit here. Slow it down. Christmas is too special to just gulp down. It's too special to just gulp it down. Number two, build in worship. Make formal worship a part of your Christmas tradition. Make it a part of it. Don't tell your family, well, I, we've got to go to the Christmas services uh, and we'll be home after that to do Christmas. Say, going to the Christmas services is a part of Christmas. That's what we do. Pass that. Establish that as a part of your family traditions. Make worship attendance where we focus on the reason for the season a part of your generational legacy. Start it now. The best place to start, the best time to start a family legacy is 30 years ago. The second best time is right now. Start it this year. Just tell everybody, hey, we're all going to church together. Congratulations. Number three, write down your stories. Make sure that you take the time to remember those that are no longer at your table, even if they've been gone for a long time. Mention their names because they're a part of who you are. Celebrate their lives and their sacrifices and how they have contributed to your life. Tell funny stories and laugh. Tell funny stories and laugh. That's why you take an hour to eat a meal. So you have time to tell funny stories and laugh. And I'm going to really encourage you, if you've got someone in your family that's kind of your family historian, have them write some of those stories down. Maybe collect them this year, publish them next year, and give one to everybody. Those stories are how we welcome people into our family. They're how we keep folks alive who are long gone. They reflect who we are. Write down your stories and tell lots of them. Number four, collect the phones at the door. Collect the phones at the door. We're all addicts. We're all addicts. Put a basket on a stand by your front door and demand that everyone put the phone in the basket and they can pick it up when they leave. That's what people do when they visit prisons. They refuse, they can just leave now. <laughs> Presents stay, you leave. Food stays, you leave. Phone in the basket. If someone tries to smuggle in a phone, just shove it right in the turkey carcass. Just shove it right in there. And after it's over, give it back to them. They'll be reminded of Christmas for months to come. <laughs> Number five, offer grace at Christmas events. Say a family prayer. Do it old school. Tell everybody to hold hands. It'll be easy because they won't have phones. <laughs> and don't have a child lead the prayer. Please do not have a child lead the prayer. I know it's cute, but it becomes an excuse to not pray. Have the matriarch or the patriarch, the spiritual leader of your family, lead that prayer, whoever that is. 
let them have that honor. And for heaven's sakes, if you get the honor, don't pray too long. You know, it doesn't need to be King James. If you say thou, you're on the wrong track. It doesn't need to be Shakespearean. It just needs to be from the heart. Tell God how thankful you are for the people around you and how thankful you are for Jesus. Wrap it up. It'll be good. It'll be good. And number six, just treat people well. Regardless of who joins your celebration this year, and regardless of how many years you anticipate they'll be in the photograph, or their potential for one day being cut out, regardless of all that, just treat everybody well. Be kind. It's pretty simple. Keep in mind, you don't have to approve of every aspect of someone's life to be kind to them. You say, well, give me a biblical example of that, okay? God doesn't approve of every aspect of our lives, but he's kind to us and he loves us. So just be kind. Be Christian to people. Make them feel welcome. Show them love. And that may be the most powerful witness to your Christian faith that you'll do in the whole season. So here we are. For some of you going into the holidays, it's really tough this year because you've got empty chairs at your table. And some of them are really fresh. And you're going to see that empty chair and it's just going to hurt. And I understand that. For some of you, this is going to be the greatest season in the world because you have grandkids. The only thing in life that does not turn out to be overrated are grandkids. And, and they're going to be there and you're going to be so full of joy. And they're going to throw up on their parents and it's not you and you're even going to be happier. <laughs> and it's going to be the greatest one ever because grandkids reset the whole thing. They reset the whole thing. Some of you have had changes in your Christmas photo. And those changes hurt. And it's not just words like death, it's words like divorce and estrangement and prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. And it just hurts. But part of the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to us. I wanna encourage you as I close this message to stop trying to fix things. You can't fix it. And you want to know why you can't fix it? Because you're broken too. And so am I. Stop trying to override people's free will. You can't do it. But let me tell you what you can do. You can invite the presence of Christ into your family. You can invite the presence of Christ into your situation. You can invite the presence of Christ into your pain. And Jesus says if we invite him, he will, he'll come. He'll show up. So this year, particularly those of you that may be dreading the holidays just a bit because of your holy families, invite Jesus to be there. The Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. 
Biblically speaking, peace is never the absence of conflict. Peace is always the presence of Christ. Let's invite Jesus in to our Christmas celebrations this year. And let's experience the peace that he alone can provide. At both ends of the altar here and at both sides of the balcony, there are some folks that would love to pray with you. If you'd just like to have a human being to pray with you. And I would like to pray about our families. Our holy, H-O-L-E-L-Y families. Let's just invite Jesus to be in the presence of those families in this year. And if you would just like to pray on your own, you can certainly pray here. Jesus came to bring peace, not only to the world, but to you and me and to our families and those we love. Let's invite him to be present this year, knowing that he will do just that. Would you pray with me? Great and mighty God, thank you for Jesus. Lord, we're fractured people. We live in a sinful world. And pain is the one constant in our realities. And yet as people of faith, we are reminded that we are not without hope. And that hope came to us in Bethlehem so long ago in the form of a baby who was called the Prince of Peace. Dear God, we speak the name of Jesus into our troubled souls. We speak the name of Jesus into our fractured families. We speak the name of Jesus into our prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. We speak the name of Jesus into those we love who are estranged. And we pray, dear God, that you would be our prince of peace in this holy season. And we pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.